everyone. Welcome to Better Homes and Dungeons. Uh, the BDSM joke is truly dead, so let's move on with our lives. It's it's good. Um, my ability to introduce people has not gotten better, so my friend, who are you and what do you do? Hi, my name is Kenny. I'm at Wolfmere on platforms, and I write supplements mostly for Dungeon World, but for other things as well. I write modules, other kinds of products, and my day job is spent teaching people and thinking about how to better instruct people. Yeah. Yeah. What, what, one of the things you mentioned to me was instructional design and mm-hmm. that was kind of what made my brain go, yes, I want to talk to this person. Cause that <laughs> it, it is, I think something we could all agree on where you start going through, say um, the, the place handbook of the dungeon master's guide to mm-hmm. say, so say fifth ed, cause fifth ed's the, the game I've got the most, um, familiarity with and you realize this is 300 pages of rules (laughs) yes um okay now what (laughs) i know my chances of of memorizing this is like just not going to happen yeah for sure so so what game is that you're talking about uh fifth ed D. oh just regular 5e sure um yeah so I'm going to wind up asking you a bunch of questions. I'll ask <laughs> like, you some too, so we'll, we'll keep it, you know, fair. Perfect. So your experience with 5e, um, you've got the, the sheer size of the book, but how do you wind up using the book, would you say? Or do you now? Like, is it a, is it a real part of your table environment, do you think? Um, I was going to make a joke and say, you know, it makes an amazing doorstop. <laughs> Is that true though? Do like is I don't know. I've, that never, just... I've never used it to prop up a door. <laughs> I um, just mean it's like is that true? Like does it just exist in the periphery? Like I consulted it when I was learning, but I don't really look at it now. To a large degree, yes. Like with my homebrew game that I run, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I generally very rarely need to refer back to it because fortunately, a couple of people there are dungeon masters as well. So. Right. It's one of those things where it's like, if I don't know, I can go to you know the, our small hive mind and say, hey, everyone, what, sure. what, how does this work? Sure. Um, and in the big table I think, where I get to play, it's like six people, we're all dungeon masters. And I think we've had to look up rules twice. Right. I think even if you don't have like the hive mind of other dungeon masters at the table, I do think that's a pretty common setup where you at least have a few people at the table who love reading through the book and like you run into a rule snag and they're just on the ball. Like I can tell you what this is going to do. I can tell you what you need to roll here, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Which is helpful. Um, but before we go any further, Kenny, um, can I ask the mm-hmm. question that I, I hope is on everyone's mind? Um, what is instructional design? So instructional design, it's, I feel like it, like many terms, it, it sounds potentially intimidating, but it's pretty straightforward it's designing things in such a way that you can teach people how to do something. Mm. It's designing, it might be a manual, it might be a rule book, it might be a set of instructions, it might be a character sheet, but with an eye towards teaching someone how to do something, to train someone in doing something. Mm. By the time you finish reading this, you will understand how to do it. That's the goal anyway. It's a good goal. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I, I did read through one of the links you gave me, which gave a, a good um, basic definition and some core principles. And it actually reminded me of the board game Concordia. Okay, tell me about that. Uh, Concordia is a game where you all play merchants in ancient Rome. And the okay. wonderful thing about it is all the cards... Okay, so your turn involves playing a card and doing what it says on the card. Okay. And then it's the next person's turn. And the wonderful thing about the game is all of its like uh, little bits and pieces, like the um, the little warehouse thing you get, uh, the, the cards themselves, everything tells you the rules about the game in really, really very common sense-ish based pictures and sentences. Where you don't feel like you're having to work very hard to figure out what's going on. Exactly, yeah. Like, um, yeah, that's, that's good instructional. Yeah, shut, shut Up and Sit Down did a really good video about it. And they're like, look, we don't want to go over the rules, but here's how you play the game. And after they explained like how to play the game, they're like, hey, we're really sorry. We actually just told you the rules. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, it, that reminds me a lot, um, speaking of other videos having to do with games, um, Ego Raptor, this is an old video, um, did a great video looking at uh, Mega Man 10, I want to say. And just how efficient that game is at giving you information in such a way that you don't even realize you're picking up information where you start moving and like a bot or an enemy will appear on the side of the map and starts attacking you and you just naturally because you're just getting shot by this thing you'll slam buttons until you jump over it and you start hitting it you fall down into a pit you're you're running right because that's all you've been doing and then you use the jump button because that's the only other button you've used so far and you start climbing the wall like it's never stopping to tell you hey by the way here's how you do this it's doling out the information so efficiently that you're hardly aware that you're picking up information. Hmm. Well, it's kind it's of not like, that, um, oh, sorry, after you. Uh, I was just going to say, it's not that instructional design needs to be invisible because hmm. there are moments, lots of moments in instructional design where it's very obvious you are giving someone training, you are giving someone instructions. But better instructional design is not going to tax the person that you're trying to train or the person you're trying to instruct you're not taxing their cognitive load. Hmm. I feel like that's what um, you're getting at with Concordia, where it's yeah, you know, exactly. this, or or with um, uh, Shut Up and Sit Down, where they're like, oh, you accidentally just learned this game. Exactly. You've been doling yeah, out the yeah, information. These little like, there's one or two little other things that you know are actually in the rule book that you kind of need to know, but but For it's sure. it, it remains one of my favorite board games. In, in theory, I guess you'd say. Like, I, I, it, it, it occupies a very, very lovely space in my heart and mind because I think that board game is just elegance in its design. Yes. And even if, yep. it's, even if it's slightly boring to play, mm-hmm. I really respect the hell out of the way they designed it. And it's interesting, too, because there are limitations, right? Like, yes. if a game is designed in such a way that it's easy to grasp and it's not complicated and it's intuitive, then the instructional design becomes a lot easier. If there are a lot of moving pieces to a game, like I think about something like um, the Battlestar Galactica board game is my favorite example. That's a nice game. Yes, it is. It's a wonderful game. I've played it a bunch. I think, I don't know if this is your experience, I don't think I've ever literally played it with the same group more than once. And what that means is every time I play it, I have to explain how to play this game. Hmm. And at least in my experience, 
telling someone how to play this game, you do have to front load a lot because they need to know about you know, their secret information and you're, you're putting in cards for secret votes and stuff like that. And so you need to front load a lot. And it's like a 45-minute affair. But then, weirdly, once you're in the game, it's actually pretty straightforward. Like, you play a few turns, people tend to get the hang of it. Yeah. So there is a limitation when it comes to what is the game exactly. There's only so much, like, good instructional design can carry you so far, and it can do a lot. But you do have this bar of, like, how complex is the game or the thing that you're trying to train someone on. Hmm. No, I, I agree. And I... And I... I understand that one of the aspects it discusses is engagement and mm-hmm. that's really, really critical. And like, if you look at the, um, the player's handbook for fifth ed, um, mm-hmm. what I like is it says, okay, how about we just talk you through how you're going to make your first character? Yeah. And I like that. It's like, okay, great. Pick your race. All right. Absolutely. Cool. What do they do? Oh, they do this. Great. For sure. And you'll notice that in, fifth edition and tons and tons of of rpg books that section comes super early Mm. like they're aware that a this is information you need to know to get going and b like you're saying this is going to drive engagement this is going to keep you moving through this book Mm. this this is kind of what you're here for so yeah it's a very sensical idea to have that front and center in your in your book that's trying to teach someone how to play this game If you had to pick a uh, a game that had that had good instructional design, what what are your like one or two go tos of like, hey people, you see this? It's it's magic. Ooh. Have a look at that. Ooh, that's a really good question. Do you mean any game or do you mean specifically role playing games? because my my, my belief is we can learn design from anything. Yeah, absolutely. Like if, if you look at um, Concordia, like I said, everything about what they give you teaches you how to play the game. So I, yeah. I think that's a good principle. A hundred percent. Hmm. It's kind of, I mean, I mentioned already like video games tend to be like a great example of this. And it's partially it's just because terrible, the nature yes. of the <laughs> Well, yes, yes. They're, they're, yeah, there are plenty of bad examples as well. But the, the beautiful thing kind of about games in general. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to revise what I said. This kind of a place applies to games in general. Have you, I mean, you have to have had this this experience where you're trying to explain to somebody, here's how this game works, and you're like, oh, but there's this exception for this, and you have to keep this rule in mind, and eventually you're like, you know what, let's just play. You'll figure it out. It's really simple once you get going. Yes. Like, yes, many games. <laughs> ga- games have this beautiful thing where it's this experience that you participate and are an, you're an active agent in, hmm. and the best games, the best kind of of instruction in games really do become invisible as you just start moving around. Um, for me, like I reference this game all the time for all kinds of reasons, but I love um, uh, Bloodborne, my favorite video oh. game. And okay. it is a game, like if you wander around the world, especially at the beginning, you're going to find these little tool tips that are like, use this button to dodge, use this button to do this, but they just throw you into the mix right away. And very similar to Mega Man, you start moving around and you're just in this empty room. You start walking around, you start hitting X because what else are you going to do? You start interacting with the environment. You run downstairs, you run into your first monster. They throw you into it so that you can fight this thing and you learn about the world and about the game as you start to play. 
And everything that it's doing, every element of it is teaching you about the narrative, about the world, about the mechanics as you go. Mm. And that can be a hard thing to to do with instructional design when it comes to role-playing games. But I, I think that's also doable. I think that you can do things like if you're creating a game, I think other games have done this too, you have a scenario that comes with the game that basically is the first chapter or is early on where it's like throw people into this. What I love to do, like my go-to game is Dungeon World. And when I'm bringing people into it and I'm trying to teach them how do you play this game, I throw them into it and I'm just asking them questions of like, what, like, what are you doing in this circumstance? I'll help arbitrate the, the rules with you, but I just want you to get a feel for what this world is like. Yeah. As far as like role-playing games that are laid out in a beautiful way, um, you can look at things like uh, The Quiet Year, uh, Monster Hearts. Avery Alder has like brilliant instructions. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the thing that is as genius about these instructions, these books, is that they're giving you the information you need as you go. Like every time you're turning the page, it's exactly the information that you would be looking for next. Like it appears in, it's doled out in such a sensical way. And this is kind of getting into a side topic here. Um, but I feel like we get so bogged down in the role-playing game world by the genre that we're writing in like if you read a bunch of role-playing game books you'll see they're laid out in very similar ways and sometimes that's because it works and sometimes it's because we're clinging to a tradition or how things have typically been done yeah no do you know I, what I, I mean yeah no i do um i i, I think it's kind of a case of um one of the games I, i've got the books for but have never played and probably never will uh, is the mm-hmm. Rogue Traders game. It's set in the 40K universe. And okay. I love the 40K universe because I've realized the secret about it. Okay. It's dumb. <laughs> I, I, I want to talk about this because I recently... I So I've, I'm aware of 40K as a thing. I've never played it before. I just recently watched a, a short, very short YouTube series called Astartes. Have you heard of this? Is that the one on Armageddon? Uh, no. Oh, so this okay. is um. I, I want to see that like, now. <laughs> okay, so this is like a fan-made CGI like short film mm-hmm. set in the 40k universe, and it just follows a platoon of Space Marines on a mission. It is so beautifully done. I again knew nothing about 40k. Watch this; it gives such a feel for the world. I immediately started diving into wikis for 40k, mm-hmm. and just like really becoming obsessed and there's so much i like but i agree with you 100 percent. like there's so much that i read and i was like oh my god this is so stupid i mean that's in a good way yeah 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 once you realize it's big stupid dumb and camp (laughs) and and look the the problematic aspect is yes yeah the humans are essentially space nazis and fascists and it's horrible but it's not but the game it seems to me everything Once, i've read it's not like it's celebrating that yeah, it's not like this it's is not. good it's it's really not and that's kind of the that's kind of the i'm gonna use the word good although i don't it's not the perfect word i want that's kind of the good thing it says hey this is what we've reduced ourselves to in order to survive hey but look at right. those tau they're doing great yeah Sorry. exactly like you this this universe is 
like the very first thing that that I learned about is like this is humanity and humanity has not advanced scientifically in 10,000 years mm. that but uh, I, I'm sorry if I, no, I wind no, up no. going on tangents no, no, look, um, tangents is tangents is I think how we have our best ideas this is our business um, <laughs> so the so the 40k universe the the trouble it runs into because I agree with you I think it's dumb I think it's intentionally dumb and it's trying to critique this world that it's laying out and, and it's echoes with our own or where we might go. But the, the trouble that it runs into or that can potentially run into is the issue of satire where people buy into not the satire, but what it literally represents. I think people oftentimes see like space Marines and they're like, yeah, badass. That's awesome. Cause it, it is badass and awesome. It is. And then you can lose track, you can lose sight of, oh, the whole point here is to say this humanity has absolutely lost itself hmm. in this world. I, I, I want to point out, um, the army I used to play in this was Space Wolves, and they're essentially just, you know, Vikings. It's great. Mm -hmm. But they have a model where it's got, like, one of their dudes riding a huge wolf, and he's got, like, massive claw weapons. And it's like, right. that's a metal cover. Right. I'm okay with this. <laughs> I would yeah, probably absolutely. buy that album and it'd be great. This is what I'm saying. Like, I don't, I don't think it's so, it's such a tricky balance because people don't have to be ashamed of enjoying something that is badass, but you, you do have to engage with and try to understand what is underpinning it, you know? Hmm. No, I agree. In the same way that you were just talking about, like you're looking at this and saying, God, this is, is amazing this like gets yeah. me going and at the same time you're like this is dumb and this is critical yes it's like um there's this italian parody metal band called nano war of steel uh everyone uh -huh. go look up their song norwegian reggaeton and the second you realize this is just dumb you it's can, so freeing isn't exactly, it exactly <laughs> yes it's great but anyway coming back to the game and why i'm never going to play it um sure sure the problem is that it's like it was designed by someone who just loves so much crunchy rules. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, look, I want to play this game, but you've put too much into this. Mm, mm hmm Like, there's, there's nothing about this that feels like it's right. And um, sure. apparently it's based so on the and – and I apologize for – in interrupting and keep going and, 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 no, no, and, and, and whatnot. Um, Grant Howard had a chat to him a few weeks ago and he was talking about the, the 40K game Inquisitor, that the best way to play it is to have looked at it and thought, wow, that looks great. I'd love to play that one day, but never actually playing it. <laughs> That's how I feel about Burning Wheel, basically. <laughs> I've never played Burning I, Wheel. Me neither. <laughs> oh, okay, I own the cool. book. <laughs> it's sitting on my shelf. I enjoy paging through it. Okay. Um, my friend, uh, uh, Josh Long... Uh, evil, evil DM Josh. Uh, he gifted it to me, and it, basically, he and I both use, have used it the same way. Where it's really interesting to read, and it is a tome. I just don't see how anyone could <laughs> get through this thing. But it's yeah. so chock full of interesting stuff, interesting ideas. Yeah, you, you kind of. I mean, to, to get into D and D again, it's kind of like when I read yeah. when I was originally playing. I was playing second edition AD and D. You know, right. Um, and there's like, okay, there's half a hundred weapons here and, or sorry, there's right. a couple of hundred weapons here. All of them have got different ways they work. Several of them have right. got asterisk six, asterisk sixes against them. Um, right. 
and this is great, but the longsword is clearly the best single hand weapon because it does the most damage. Right. And then you contrast that. Yeah, and then you bring in 5e, and it's like, guess what? Hammer, axe, sword, we don't give a shit. They all use a d8. Right. Yeah, or or Dungeon World works exactly the same way, where it it even simplifies it even more. Your character, your class has a a damage die. Like, people deal damage, weapons don't deal damage. That's the way they break it down. (laughs) Swords don't kill people, people with swords kill people. That's exactly what it says. That's what it says. Um, So there's this trend currently that's happening that we're still in the midst of of simplification and Mm -hmm. peeling away the layers so you came in in second edition um i came in in fourth edition also fairly Uh crunchy in a different way uh did you play during the 4e days i did not so i it was crunchy in the sense that it was much more kind of wargamey um not to the extent that it fully became... You weren't measuring with a ruler and seeing line of sight and stuff like that. But there were elements of it. Mm. And that's when I first started playing. And I, so I, I have this theory. Let me, let me know what you think about this. Okay. I think that all role-playing games exist on this spectrum. And on one side of the spectrum, you have pure collaborative storytelling. Like you could imagine a game where... We have a bag filled with words, and we're just going to go around. Each one is going to pull one of these random words, and we start telling a story. You pass to the next person. They pick up the story. They add their word to it, and you go on like that. Mm -hmm. Just like pure collaborative storytelling. And then kind of the other end of the spectrum, you have something that's almost entirely like a war game. It's just miniatures on some kind of battle grid. You're measuring distances. You're looking at line of sight. You're looking at move speed, that kind of thing. You're rolling to hit. Then you're seeing where you hit. Then you're checking against the armor. Then you're seeing how much damage. Then you're seeing if there's anything permanent. Then they're rolling defense. And it's like, okay. Yep. And then it's like, okay, I'm going to hitch my... I'm going to hitch my animal to this wagon. Let me consult the animal hitching table. Uh, I'm going to roll percentile dice to see how how well I hitch the wagon. Yeah, exactly mm-hmm. like that. Um, I don't, and I'm not saying this in a judgmental way of no, like no, I... one is right and one is wrong. It's just that everything kind of exists along the spectrum. And games like 4E lean harder towards game. And games like Dungeon World lean more towards story. Or, you know, 5E... 5e is kind of interesting because they went out sort of with the design goal of making it really mutable, making mm. it so that you can really turn it into what you want. Do you know? Which I think is good design. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think it can be good design. Like, yes, there's you, the word I needed. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you. It's it's a trade off. You make your game really flexible, and that's to its credit. Mm. But then maybe you lose something in the vision of it. Like people who come to, for example, oh, I don't know. If you do play fourth edition, like the people who are into it, and that, like I said, I came into D&D during fourth edition, and that's where I made a lot of my D&D friends online. And the people that, that flocked to it at that time, there was something really there that they loved about it. And likewise, people who are really hardcore into games like Dungeon World, I, I've met plenty of them too. They're really adamant about that. So even choosing flexibility is choosing a trade-off because now you are less focused in what vision you're trying to deliver to your, to your user. Um, I, I will, I will confess like I was, I was listening to and um, flicking over the statutes you made for the dungeon world thing. 
and yeah. I will level with you. I would play this game based on these character sheets. Oh, thank you. Because um, that like makes me I, feel really good. Well, dude, this is really good work. Um, and, and I say this because when you look at a fifth edition thing, yeah, um, you know that that character sheet's two sides, which is my maximum. Yep. Sure. Um, my my oft stated belief of look, if you can't summarize how to play your game on a double sided A three, mm-hmm. start again. It's it's too complex. Go away. I'm done with you. No, leave me alone. I've got children. I don't have enough mental energy to do this. Right. But Which look, sounds like a like a personal view, right? Like, yes, it's that's a person. You're it, coming from. It's how Josh works. Josh has exactly. limited attention and brain power left in his life. Totally. Um, but looking at your character sheets, like they're clean. They explain everything I'd need. They explain how to play mm-hmm. because you've got the dice on there. You've got the icons. It mm-hmm. looks really clean. You haven't cluttered it either. And when you yeah. compare that to like the, the fifth ed character sheet, which is two solid good A4 sides, right? it really compresses a lot of information onto those two sides. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm. Um, just real quick, yes. um, if you don't mind. Oh. We can look up, or I can share with you actually okay. uh, the original like Dungeon World character sheets that like oh, come please, with the game. Yes. All right, hold on. Give me one second. Uh, I'll just Google Dungeon World character sheet. This is going to yeah. be amazing audio for everyone listening. <laughs> so if you scroll down a few, you'll find you'll wind up on the actual characters there. You know, it so it's thirty-three pages. I think that's good. I mean, there's there's yeah. modules longer than that, so that's that's a good sign. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay, ah, there we are. There's a character sheet. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that's all right. It's not too bad. Like, so, speaking of these character sheets that I made, there there are a couple things that you got to keep in mind. I think one, like, the most important thing is, like, what is the goal? Like, what are you going to be using these sheets for? Mm -hmm. So these these Dungeon World character sheets I made are pre-gens for one-shots. And that does give you a lot of liberty to strip away a lot of information. Because now you're not interested in, okay, player, you have to make a bunch of choices on how to build this thing. Mm. I'm just going to give you this sheet and you're going to run with it. Yeah, this would work so, wonderfully for a con or, yeah, as you're saying, a one-shot with a couple of friends who just want to sit down, have some pizza, and have a nice time. Right, or learn the game for the first time. Like, mm. I want to try to sell you on Dungeon World. Here's a character sheet. Let's go. Let's see what happens. Um so that's a part of it. And so I tend to approach um, instructional design from the perspective of a teacher, which is different than someone who approaches it from I'm working for a company and I'm doing instructional design. Mm-hmm. And in particular, I teach writing. So a big overlap between those two fields is thinking about audience and thinking about the intention, the goal, the purpose of whatever it is that you're making. In particular, with this set of character sheets, like you're saying, I'm wanting to draw somebody in. I want to give you this sheet, and you look at it and say, I want to play this game. So that's why it makes you feel so good that that's kind of the reaction that you had. Hmm. But I also want you to be able to look through, and I want you to be able to know what your character can do. So I, I played a lot of... Oh, go ahead. I, and I apologize for interrupting. I, I love on the Barbarian, it says, forceful, messy. Because yes. not only does that say, okay, here is how I punch people... This also says, here is like, you know, here are, say, like, even just a couple of character guidelines to play with. 
and then it gives you a feel for it. Yeah, exactly. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, and I another thing that I did in these so um, the dungeon world moves the the various abilities that you have. I've changed a lot of the names. So, for example, uh, all of these characters have a move called hit an enemy. Um, in the original game, it's called hack and slash. Mm-hmm. Um, they have another move called folly. I've renamed it to shoot or throw something. So I've tried to to economically use this space and use these words so that as you're reading through, you're seeing these bolded headers, and they just tell you straight up right away, this is what this does. Hmm. I don't have to spend a lot of extra space telling you what it is because it does what it says on the tin, yeah. you know? No, 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 I, I, and I think that's great. Like, you've played Magic the Gathering? Oh, so yes, Bad absolutely. Question? Okay, good. No, I, cool. I, I've got I've got a podcast on Magic the Gathering. Oh, cool, love it. Excellent. Hey, uh, yeah, okay. So the reason I bring Magic the Gathering up is, and board games kind of and TTRPGs all kind of feed into this like gaming language that mm-hmm. you and I, as people who play a lot of games, would speak fairly fluently. Yeah, absolutely. My wife, who does not play games, does not yeah. speak this language. Yes. And yes. trying to like say okay here's how you do this. I can just like, okay, there, there's a card game called Arctic Scavs. I can't remember. Okay. Sorry, Arctic Scavengers. And I love it. It's, it's great. Uh-huh. Uh, it was done by the same guy who I think did Galaxy Truckers. Um, okay. And the thing about this game is if you've played things like Magic the Gathering, you automatically understand how to play this game. Because You just uses... get for free. You understand all of these mechanics and, and structures underneath it. Exactly. Yes. But if you hadn't played Magic the Gathering, teaching someone to play this game takes at least two to three, like one or two sessions. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I teach mean, my nephew who's 15, and after a couple of sessions, he had it. Oh, man. So there's something you should check out. Speaking of Magic and teaching someone how to play, mm-hmm. I need to remember the exact name. I think he just goes by Magic Dad. So on our... Magic the Gathering podcast. It's Red Mage, Blue Mage. Mm -hmm. We have an episode where we talk about a dad who basically designed a, he called it Magic Junior. Mm -hmm. It is a Magic the Gathering game for like toddlers. He made it for his like three-year-old daughter to teach her how to play. And he stripped away a lot of the complexity while keeping the core. Mm. So like one of the very simple things that he did, he has for lands... You just put five lands face down, and on your turn, you flip one of them up randomly. So every turn, you're hitting a land, so you don't have to worry about like land distribution or am I going to get mana screwed or something like that. So he's stripping away layers of complexity while keeping the mechanics of the game. Ooh. It's super smart. That is really cool. So I, I recommend checking that out. But basically what you're saying is that when you're teaching someone who doesn't have access to all this pre-existing knowledge, you lose out on all this shorthand way mm. that you could communicate. Like, if you were wanting to teach me about Arctic Scavengers, you could be like, oh, this is basically like your mana or whatever. Yeah. And you wouldn't have to explain the idea of tapping cards for resources or whatever it is. That, that is exactly the, like, the terminology I had in my head when I was, like, reading the manual for the first time. I was like, okay, yeah. so you tap this, you do it. It's like, okay, great. I know how to play this game now. Absolutely. Or, you know, roughly. Um, I was going to say, on, on the subject of great games for kids, uh, have you heard of Power Outage? No, I haven't. Tell me about it. Okay, Power Outage was designed by a guy called Bibas. Um, really, okay. really lovely guy. Um, and it's essentially like a it's a superhero TTRPG for kids. 
Okay. Called power outage because he invented it and played it with his kids when they had a big blackout. So, <laughs> okay, okay. You know, from suffering comes art. Um, <laughs> it is a really, really wonderfully designed game because it's got all the fun of something like D&D where, you know, say what you want to do, roll the dice, and the parent has to find a way of making that work, if that makes okay. sense. So there's a, bit of, there's a bit of DM loading, but on the basis that, you know, you're... If you're playing this with your kids, you're probably an adult and you probably know yeah. how to play these games. Um, and and you're probably into games yourself. Probably, yes. So you'll understand all the language. But it's a really right. excellent example of like, how can you take something like D&D, get rid of things like, okay, you know, I cast Magic Missile, I cast Fireball. It's like, nope. Right. It's just, what, what does the kid want the skill to be? Great. Yes. It does this much damage. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And that's what that magic game did, too. He did a genius thing where he let his daughter name the cards. So it was like friendly unicorn and stuff like that. And Aww. it was so effective. Or like um, instead of like removal spells like uh, Doomblade or whatever, they mm. had spells like go away. And he has videos of her playing the cards and, and she's just like, go away. And she put, puts it on his spell. It's, it's so smart. It's so Aww. good. That sounds great. So I, I love that challenge yeah. in, in all these instances of how do you boil it down to the essentials? Can, can you I know? ask, you, you've played yeah. Honey Heist or any one-page grand I, I have. Excellent. Yeah. Where would you put Honey Heist on the scale you were discussing before? Oh, interesting. As far as like story versus game? Hmm. I think it leans towards story for sure. Just because the mechanics are so, so light. And What I love about it there's, is... They're light mechanics, but they're effective ones. Yes, absolutely. I, I think and right now for me personally, again, a, a matter of taste, that's where I tend to gravitate right now, where it's like, I need rules. Um, I need mechanics to ground me. Um, so when I first started playing D&D for the first time, 4E, got roped into a game. At the time, I was a magic nerd, and I got pulled into D&D, and I, I remember this experience of playing D&D for the first time. It's like, listen, I'm a nerd, but I'm not a D&D nerd. I don't play this game. <laughs> the funny thing is I actually look at it from the other side where it's like, look, I'm a D&D nerd, but I'm not doing magic. But I don't that, play that's, magic. A, that's, a, that's a line, dude. And now my line <laughs> exactly. is, look, I know what Warhammer 40,000 is, but I'm never buying and painting those miniatures. Again, children, mortgage. Yeah. I, I can't afford yeah. this. And my version is like, okay, yeah, I play D&D. But I don't do true dungeon. I don't do LARPing. Come on. Yeah. And then eventually I'll, I'm sure I'll wind up. I'm but anyway. very sure one day I will. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, but I remember the first time I played, and, you know, it was very classical D&D fair. You're in a bar. There's a bar fight. Somebody puts you on a quest. You go to the swamp. You get magic item, et cetera, et cetera. But I remember walking away from it and having the feeling of, like, did I play a game or not just now? Like, all of that stuff, that guy, the DM, just made up. So does it really count? Like, should I feel accomplished? And for me personally, what it wound up turning into is that I do need some kind of base level of rules and mechanics to ground me, not mm. just so that I can have something to latch onto, but also so that I can feel like I'm doing something. When I when I win, quote unquote, when I accomplish <laughs> something, it actually feels like an accomplishment. Hmm. I, and I feel like for me personally, if you lose all that structure, suddenly I don't feel 
that sense of accomplishment anymore. I don't feel like we did it. Our team did it. Okay. I know what your your sense is on that. I'm no, I, I think I know what you mean. Because I've had sessions where I've come away from from the session and been like, okay, what happened there? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, like, I, with D&D, because I guess I don't see it just as a game, but I also see it as, okay, here's where Josh actually spends some social time. Um, yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, one of, one of the ways I, I, I feed that need. Um, For sure. Yeah, that, look, that's... I don't know, because, I mean, I guess for me, like, winning is did I laugh and did I make other people laugh? Like, did, yeah. did I have a nice time and did I help others have a nice time? I did. Great. We win. Yeah, absolutely. But it's different. It's different than, like, I don't know. I, now I'm torn. Yes, I've broken him. On the one hand, I want to say, you know, true but it's different than if for example you were just watching something on on youtube Mm. and you were laughing with your friends and joking that's a different kind of i made people laugh and i enjoyed myself than i played this game Mm. no i I see what you mean the reason the reason i'm the reason i'm torn though is because that thing that you're gathering yourself and your friends around is almost irrelevant like you could go bowling instead and have a grand old time and almost all of the enjoyment comes out of the friend dynamic do you know what i mean no i do it's kind of like when video game companies say oh it's got multi you know oh sorry when people are talking about video games and they say oh you know league of legends or whatever it's like it's great if you're with the right group and it's like look everything's great if you're with the right group (laughs) exactly (laughs) i don't need help with that but i do i do want something that I think your job, if you're designing a game, how do you build something that is going to produce those moments, that is going to produce you look back and you remember the time when? Hmm. And that's like a big guiding principle for me when it comes to writing modules. How do you make those moments? How do you you create them in a way that they will reliably produce stories that people are going to tell? And my, my favorite version of this is um, an adventure I wrote, Fortress of the Ermage. There is a room in there where you come in to this beautiful, sumptuous feast. The one with the gargoyles, yeah. Yes. And it's laden with all kinds of sumptuous foods, and there's various clues that you can find. But if you eat something from the table, you turn into that food. And I've heard uh, both in the groups that I've run it for and other people that just leads to the best stories. To this day, we talk about our like our dwarven paladin who ran in and instantly, first room in the entire dungeon became a hunk of ham. Like your your goal, like it it is true. Like with any game, like you were mentioning League of Legends or whatever it is, it matters what the group is absolutely. But as a game designer, you can't just rely on that. Hmm. You need to be working to produce those moments that people are going to tell if, stories about. If I may, um, you know blow the, the smallest soup song of, of smoke up your bum. Um, Do it. Cool. Um, what I liked about this is it features the room. The first, sorry, the second sentence is ask the crusaders what foods are on the table. So you're immediately putting player engagement, like not front and center of this room because, you know, Hey, attempting feast. There's stuff in this room. There's stuff in this room. 
But the, the okay, the first thing you're doing, you're saying you're in a room, the stuff. The second thing you're doing is saying, what food is it that your characters would like? Yeah. And that's immediately, yes, that's immediately getting that engagement. And I think that is a very cool place to start. Mm-hmm, for sure. And it seems to me, just in talking with you, that seems to be something that appeals to you in a big, big way is when you have something that immediately is grabbing engagement from the GM, from the player, from the user, mm. just immediately wrapping you in there. It, it is one of the things I learned, I think, I, I hope early enough in my time as a DM, where it's like, mm-hmm. let the players make parts of the world for yeah. you. For sure. Like in, in our um, uh, actual play game, we're, we're doing Curse mm-hmm. of Strahd, but it's Railway Baron and it's Steampunk and there's cool stuff like that. Sure. I essentially said to all the players, okay, guys, sorry, okay, people, I want you to give me an NPC you want to see in this that's connected yeah, to absolutely. your character. Absolutely. And it has been some of the best fun that we've ever For had. For sure. Definitely. I saw, um, I think I saw this because you were responding to it on Twitter. Somebody had a case of, that they were asking for advice on. They were basically saying, I'm running a campaign. I have a player who in every town, every NPC, they're asking about magic items. Yes. Do you remember I remember this? that tweet. Yes. Yes. And they were sort of saying, how do I deal with this? And my response was, turn it into a hook. Because I think that what you have in that case is a wonderful case of someone being invested Hmm. and telling you, hey, I love this part of the game. I love magic items. I love negotiating. I love talking to people about and trying to find good prices. And so give them what they want. Like this is driving engagement for them. So give it to them. And what you're saying is the same thing. Like you tell me what character could you run into that's really going to turn your crank Hmm. we can make that happen like at at the moment the two that they've uh encountered one is uh one of the character's daughters from like a a previous relationship Mm -hmm. that he didn't know that he had Mm -hmm. and so that has made all the other characters like the character is an asshole (laughs) sure and the best thing is like all the other characters know and believe that yes that character is an asshole it's like (laughs) yes this has only reinforced that fact in the best way and they now like her so much more than him right (laughs) and the second one was like a, a leprechaun who's a bouncer in a pub and again they like him more than they like the asshole like we love we love tyler tyler's great um But on the basis that, you know, Tyler's character got drunk and, you know, we all kind of had a little bit of fun with him. We did all the stereotypes. Sure. You know. um, but it already, it gives all the other player characters like, a okay, if this is what Josh can do with a terrible idea, what can he do with a good one? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then you get the great idea and then you can't think of anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's my experience anyway. Yeah. But what, what, might, what so I'm currently... Is, all you oh, need to ahead. do is put a small breadcrumb out there for them to play with, and they will oh, often so give you better ideas than what you had. And then your job oh, is to so sit true. there smiling like an asshole, like that's exactly where I was going. Hey, you nailed precisely. it, dude. There's your Precisely. Inspiration. 
No, it's so true. I uh, in our uh, we have an ongoing Dungeon World campaign, and I have this. They're currently exploring this island. It's basically like the island of of misfit toys. It's like abandoned automaton that have been left on this junkyard of an island, Ooh. and they've developed their own culture and their own cult. They're waiting for the creator to come back. Um, there's all these different locations. They have a prophecy when the creator returns. I made all this stuff. The players are running around, and they're trying to find a location. And they're like, well, you know, I'm kind of curious. Are there any, like, abandoned places here that we can find shelter? So, Can I, can I ask you a question? Yeah, um, please. If you were to fight these creatures for an energy source, would that be considered assault and battery? <laughs> oh, you're one of those. Yes. You're one of those pun guys. Yeah, I'm a dad. It, yeah. <laughs> it comes with the territory, I guess. Look, I was bad before. Becoming a dad. And it just stepped up to a new level. Down. Oh, my. Down. Oh, my. I I have a few friends who are pun masters who might have dadhood in their future, so I I have to to set some, like, block terms or something. I don't know. (laughs) The problem is they can use any word as a weapon. That's the real issue. That's how we work. (laughs) But to your point, uh, this abandoned place that they found... I was asking them questions about stuff that they were finding there, and they were, you know, as players will do, wildly speculating, and they're just giving you all the material in the world, and they're assuming this grand plan of yours. It's just the easiest thing as a DM to sit back and just nod sagely, like, yes, you've discovered the carefully constructed plot that I've been working on for months. And meanwhile, like none of it yeah. is like, they've ignored all of the, the actual plot lines, which is fine. That's yeah. I, it, I it, it's, it. it's the old joke tweet. You know, you've just got one, like all your purpose, just one note on your DM screen. It just says sexy goblin. <laughs> Question mark. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's so true though. You got to be ready to roll with it. Exactly. Now, um, Kenny, we have time for one more question, and it is a question that I ask sure. everyone. Um, now, okay. because when we were vi- when we actually had the video working on Discord before, I could see yes. workout stuff behind you. Yeah, that's true. What 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 does what does Kenny do to take care of Kenny? Uh, that's a, that's a good question. So, the uh, the home gym that I have set up these are all things that I purchased. I want to say three years ago. So I lived the first, I don't, I don't know, maybe 26 years of my life, medium to non-concerned about taking care of myself. And then suddenly I wanted to, like life changes happened that made me look into that. And so I did, got really into it, had to make a decision. Am I going to go to the gym or am I going to set up my own setup? I set up my own thing. Um, but then in this past, so I did that for the last four or five years Mm -hmm. and now I feel like I've just gone into a rut. So what I'm doing now is the college that I teach at has a gym. I'm taking advantage of that now. It's pretty awesome. Most of the time, because it's empty. And then the other half of the time, the baseball team is in there. The volleyball team is in there and you're just fighting for equipment. Um, so, so that's what I, I wind up doing. I, it's, it's good. The thing I like about, and I would recommend this to anybody, the the best thing to me about fitness stuff is that if you do it, it's like you've accomplished something. No matter what happens in the rest of your day, you can walk away and say, I did that. And I slacked off on these other things, but I did hit this benchmark. I did accomplish something. If for nothing else, for no other benefit, I think that's already worth it. I would agree. 
Uh, and unfortunately, that is pretty well my work, my, my lunchtime. Um, can you? I want to say thank you. I, I really want to get you back on later on to, to talk more about this kind of thing. I, I regret that I only have but one lunchtime to offer at the moment. I would love to. Yeah, I feel like we've only scratched the surface. I, I, could, I could talk for quite a long time. So you just tell me when you ha- want to talk again, and I am 100% down. Thank you. Now, Kenny, you, you mentioned that uh, your Twitter handle, Wolfmere. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Uh, and you said you've got a podcast, which is... It is Red Mage, Blue Mage. You can find us at Red Blue MTG. If you like Magic the Gathering and you like uh, hearing a control player and an aggro player butt heads and fight each other, then I would recommend it. I got I got to shout out my co-host as well, at Rocket Orca. At Rocket Orca, that's Amber. She's the best. Perfect. Everyone, um, Kenny, thank you again for your time. Um, everyone, my pleasure. Be good to each other and love each other. Uh, please check out myself. I'm Nerdy People D and D on on Twitter. Please check out our actual play campaign and our Margrave campaign. I do way too much with my life. I'm a twit. Uh, everyone, have a wonderful week. Bye. <laughs>